The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagan. Presenting Season 9, Avalanche. Find a Way, Part 2. Written by Mercedes Lackey and Cody Martin. Vicky's hair was plastered to her scalp with sweat, and she shook and shivered with shock. How could everything have gone so wrong so quickly? Oh, God, what do we do with them? she wailed aloud. There's not enough secure echo bases on the planet to hide all of... Eight Ball was pinging like a crazy thing. Yes, I know, she screamed at it, without looking at it. The shit has hit the industrial fan. Leave me alone. And just at the moment that she felt as if she was going to crack wide open and lose it all, a pair of hands settled on her shoulders, and calm and renewed energy flowed into her, like nothing she had ever felt before. Steady, little sister, Sarah murmured from behind her. You do not face this alone. One more minute, two or thirty, will make no difference. We will find answers now, and more answers later. Right. It doesn't matter if we patch something together that won't hold. As long as we start on something that will hold right away while the patch buys us time. Okay, she said aloud. I've got twenty or thirty, no more than forty medicine saucers in the air with various numbers of refugees, most of them from Midas. Midas is toast, and no point in worrying about it right now. Put that out of our minds for the moment. Right now, I need to find some place to stash the medicines and their saucers, where the Kriegers won't find them, and they also won't get abducted by our dear allies. So, that's what? About a thousand medicine refugees we're talking about? Give or take. The thing is, near as I can tell, even a kid knows enough about medicine tech to make him valuable. She clutched both her hands in her hair as she listened with half an ear to Bella's speech. Between what is in the saucers themselves and what even a child knows, yes, Sarah confirmed. John shook his head. The problem isn't how valuable they are. Well, no, that is a problem. The bigger problem right now is that there's so damn many of them. I've got some places that are out of the way, but not for nearly that many folks. We need somewhere to bed them down, where they'll be accessible, but safe at the same time. John chewed on his lower lip, his arms crossed in front of his chest. I don't trust any military with them, not ours or anyone else's. So, landing them at a military airstrip is out of the question. I've got Alex Tesla's secret list of bug-out bases, and they could handle maybe a hundred, Vicky confirmed. You know what will happen if they land anywhere open. 
Let's keep at least some of those bases in reserve for medicine VIPs. Best to shuttle them there after we've got all of the rest of them secure. Problem is, how in the hell do you hide about 40 flying saucers without Area 51 or anyone possibly connected to it? If I trusted Mom and Dad's bosses, but I don't. They'd have to report something this big upstream and poof. She made a little explosion motion with her fingers. Here come the men in black to haul them away. Exactly. Same problem as Big Army. We're keeping these people out of government hands for as long as humanly possible. Let them decide what suits them best, when it's safe for them to come out of hiding. Eight Ball's pings had turned into a kind of warble. Vicky had reached out a hand to dial down the volume, but it was obvious that either the program had malfunctioned or it thought it had something important. Are there wilderness areas we could put them down in? Vicky shook her head at her own suggestion and giggled with an edge of hysteria in it as Sarah sent out another wave of calm. <laughs> Dear gods, can you imagine? Medicines trying to camp? Not enough bleach to keep those jumpsuits blind and white. Well, maybe they have gizmos for that, though. John started pacing, shaking his head with a look of consternation on his face. He paused mid-stride, glancing over at the monitor that was hooked up to Wakeball. The screen was flicking through a series of black and white images, group shots of men in lab coats and suits, rockets in flight, schematics, profile shots of individual men, views of laboratories. A smart little bastard. Vic, Sarah, hold up a second. John turned to face the women, pointing at the monitor. Your gizmo's got it. Operation Paperclip. Not Nazis this time, though. Medicines. Wait, what? Vicky said, looking at him in confusion, then following his pointing finger to Eight Ball's monitor. Operation. Her face remained locked in confusion for a moment. Oh, okay, I... But that's the problem, not the solution. Where do we send them? Is it the problem, though? I'll think around it. Switch the parts. Everyone wants them because they're medicines. How do we fix that? Suddenly, Eight Ball's screen blanked. Then it showed the map of South America. A red dot on that map that was in the location they all knew too well now. Metis. Eight Ball zoomed in on the map, showing the outlines of the countries of South America and the Peruvian Andes. And out. And in. And out. And in. The third time, both Vicky's hands flew to her mouth. Oh. My. Gods! Oh, my gods! That's it! She whirled and her hands went to her main keyboard. Overwatch, open meet us. All. Bella, I need your Echo Diplomatic override. I need to talk directly to the President of Peru. Bella's reply came immediately. 
you've got a bypass to a secretary in the diplomatic protocols. Patch me through. Explain what you need to both of us at the same time. Vicky's fingers flew again, and a moment later, she was speaking in Spanish. John's Spanish was just good enough to understand that she was convincing the Peruvian president's secretary that this was enough of an emergency to put her through to his desk, interrupting whatever else he was doing. Since his skies, at least those over Metis, were full of Thulian ships, that probably was a given. Senor Presidente, Vicky began. English, please, he replied, for brevity. The Thulians appear to be leaving our airspace. Are we to expect them back? Not that I know of. I am calling about a different matter. Echo CEO Bella Parker is also on the call. We have several hundred medicine refugees. 1,324, Bella interrupted. In the air, in stealthed craft that cannot stay up there forever. Every one of them is a valuable asset. Every one of them has basic knowledge of medicine science and access to more information. Every nation on Earth will want them. They were all born on Peruvian soil. Do I have to make myself plainer? Madre de Dios. Bella's mind worked as quickly as Vicky's had. Mr. President, I am fairly sure I can get a substantial percentage, if not all, of the medicines to agree to work on behalf and for the benefit of Peru, no matter what country they end up working in. But they need the protection of actual, physical Peruvian papers and passports, and they need these things yesterday. Without that protection, they'll end up like the German scientists at the end of World War II, in the hands of whoever grabs them first, Vicky added. Once they're Peruvian citizens, I am fairly sure that all of South America, and probably whoever doesn't manage to get one of them in their countries, will take serious offense at any of them vanishing. Not to mention that if they vanish, there's not a lot of incentive for the other countries of the world to do anything if the Thulians come looking for them. Give them Peru's protection. Keep them sovereign and free with Echo's help. And you have a young, inexhaustible gold mine on your hands in the form of what they'll part with, or what other countries will pay for their services. Plus, whatever they can decipher from what you guys get out of the wreck of Metis. Senorita Parker, you are a powerful negotiator. The president laughed shakily. I see your points. Give me perhaps half an hour to determine logistically how many people each of our embassies and consulates can process, and how many we can process how quickly here. Then you and I can begin sending these stealthed craft to land directly where it is most expedient. Okay, I am cutting out of this conversation. Good luck, Parker, Senor Presidente. With a flick of the key, Vicky cut her connection to the negotiations going on somewhere in the air. Sarah looked from Vicky to John in bewilderment. 
What has just occurred? She asked. Security for the medicines, with any luck. Just gotta hope that none of the other governments out there get shit-scared and try to brazen through getting some of the eggheads. I don't think it'll happen, but it'll be up to Bella and Spin Doctor to calm those waters. John grinned, his eyes flitting back and forth as he was thinking about the possibilities that this new arrangement had opened. And Savior and Pride, they're all up on international diplomacy. And none. And Savior is sneaky. She'll point out all the ways kidnappings could happen, and we'll get the medicines to safe harbors once they have their papers, said Vicky, looking wilted and exhausted, but no longer in despair. Still, what is this Operation Paperclip? Sarah looked back to John. A grab by the U.S. government and some cloak-and-dagger types to get as many Nazi scientists after World War II before the Soviets could snag him. Big operation to whitewash their pasts, get them U.S. citizenship, and bring them over here. It was all done to sidestep a law that said we couldn't have anybody associated with the Nazi party doing work for us, essentially. That was what Eight Ball was trying to show us, that this was what was going to happen unless we got them some other kind of citizenship to protect them, Vicky added, patting Eight Ball's keyboard. Then he showed us that they actually already had citizenship. Metis was hidden in the Peruvian Andes and has been since, geez, I don't know, the 1920s at least. So every medicine we saved was certainly born there, born on Peruvian soil. We just had to make that absolutely official. Best way to do that was to cut straight to the top and talk to El Presidente. She spread her hands wide. Now, every country on the planet that wants medicine tech is going to have to talk to Peru. And every country on the planet has a vested interest in protecting Peru. From Thulians and everything else. Eight Ball is a pretty handy little toy, Vic. You and Bella have done good. Try to relax until we hear back from the Blueberry. I'm sure that there'll be plenty to do once we have the little details ironed out. Best to try to figure out probable landing sites, now, so that we can plot out the best way to get our birds down without too many people taking notice. Roger that. She turned back to her keyboard. Overwatch, open. All meet us, craft. Open. Private. Bella. It's still Fubar. But maybe we can dig our way out after all. Thank God for the firebombs. If they hadn't been here. She didn't finish that thought, because at that point, El Presidente and Bella had their plan. Within 24 hours, Vicky and Bella had done the impossible, registered all of the surviving medicines as Peruvian citizens with appropriate paperwork and passports, and gotten them all into scattered hiding places. John, all too well aware of how slowly the wheels of bureaucracy ground, could only marvel. That miracle alone would have made him a believer in the infinite. So now, 
they were waiting. He and Sarah most particularly. Waiting for the next Thulian move on the shattered chessboard. Some shadow of that brief look at the futures told him it was going to be bad. Everyone was on high alert back at HQ. Battening down the hatches, as it were. Preparing to mobilize and move out. Again. They were still nursing their wounds from Ultima Thule, and now the fall of Metis. And in deep mourning for Molotok. He and Sarah had quietly discussed what they had inadvertently learned, and had agreed they would not tell the Commissar of the depth of Moji's feelings for her now. If ever. She was already devastated. The revelation that he had been deeply in love with her would probably destroy her. After the war is over. If it ever is. If we survive it. Somehow, deciding to put the revelation off made him feel more relieved than guilty. Usually keeping a secret had the opposite effect. He'd rather rip the band-aid off and be done with it than let things fester beneath the surface. But this situation was more delicate than that. Given the commissar's distrust of him, not only as an American, but now as well, whatever he and Sarah were. Holding off on telling her about Moji was probably the wisest course of action. Yet the attack, when it came, surprised even John and Sarah. They were both still guarding Vicky. They had put in their time at HQ, helping with preparations and readying everything in case they had to move out to defend the city or go on the attack elsewhere. There was an air of anticipation everywhere. If the Thulians had hit Metis with such a large force, how long until they moved that force into the surrounding area? More questions, like how they had even managed to get that many troops and that much war material to Metis undetected. Where had they gone after? By what few probes or sensors remained, the Thulians had wiped Metis off the map and then disappeared. Hardly anything stood where Metis had been, and there were absolutely no survivors. That much was clear. So, everyone waited. John desperately wanted to be outside, anywhere but in Vicky's apartment. He understood the job that they had been given was exceedingly important, knew it intellectually. But his heart and his gut wanted to be on the ground, in the thick of it, taking the fight back to the enemy. If only he didn't have the constraints that had been placed on him, he just needed some place to push the dagger, and then he would destroy whatever enemy they faced. Whatever enemy he faced, whoever stood against. A seraphim uses the least power to the most impact. The needle of a laser, not the bludgeon of a sledgehammer. He brought his head up to see that Sarah had turned away from the window to gaze solemnly at him. Power is not ours to waste, 
beloved. We may not be seraphim, but we are still constrained by the same laws. If we waste what we are given, or use it unwisely, or with poor judgment, it will no longer be given to us. John took a deep breath, then exhaled it slowly. The mind-to-mind -mind communication had been weird at first, but he was starting to get the hang of it. He knew it was useless to try to hide anything from Sarah, but he still tried to calm himself, mask some of the darker, whatever he had been feeling before she had brought him back to Earth. I know, darling. Just gets to be... frustrating, being cooped up in here while our friends are out there. Vicky semi-staggered out of her overwatch room and paused, one hand on the wall. Um, she said. For the benefit of those who are not telepathically attached at the hip, want to use your vocal cords? Because I can tell you're talking. Sorry, Vic. Just practicing, I guess. Unlike my better half, I'm still new to this sort of stuff. He stood up from the couch, brushing Sarah's cheek with the back of his hand as he rose. Anyone need tea or coffee? I figure it's about that time. Any way you can give me eight hours of sleep and eight seconds instead? Vicky asked hopefully. John thought for a second, then looked to Sarah. No, but... Sarah smiled slightly. I used to help Bella when she was healing, with something she called angel juice, which sounds terribly wrong somehow, as if someone was putting me in a blender. Vicky actually managed a chuckle at that. <laughs> Seraphim, will it blend, she said. I think John and I can manage a less intense version together, Sarah continued. And then we'll definitely need coffee. You up for trying it, Vic? So long as it doesn't involve zapping me into a wall again. Absolutely. She ran a hand through her hair, which looked dry and lifeless. We've got everyone that escaped from Medus, their papers, and into hiding, and... John held up a hand. Time for a battery recharge first. Tell us when we're done refilling your tank. He paused, thinking. I guess there isn't a way for us to describe this without sounding dirty, is there, love? He looked to Sarah, wriggling his eyebrows. She giggled and held out her hand. This is simple. Just as we did with Pavel, without having to turn our power into plasma first. He nodded and took her hand, following her lead. For him, for them, well, it was easy. 
like sharing the warmth of a fire that they were all huddled around, but that he and Sarah could turn up or turn down at will. It was an abstraction of what it really felt like, but it was all so complex, and that was the best way that he could think of it. He and Sarah both willed for that fire to ramp up, for the heat to spread outwards from them and into Vicky. Not too much. It was more of a gentle caress than a shove, or even a tap. Through his new senses granted from telepathy, however, he could feel what it was like for Vicky. As a geomancer, energy came to her through the earth, usually, and that was how her senses interpreted this. As a great upwelling of renewal and refreshment, from behind her shields a single image of friendly lava escaped. Her eyes widened, and her skin, which had been pale with fatigue, took on color again. He was reminded of how pale little Thea became pink when she stole energy from her victims, willing or unwilling. Vicky stood straighter and let go of the wall, as her mouth formed a silent O oh, of surprise. It was Sarah who somehow understood when to cut it off, and actually eased off, rather than cutting off. She had the skill and appreciation for the power that they shared. While it was all raw and untempered for John, Sarah was able to turn it with gentleness and control. Vicky stood there, blinking, for a few moments, licking her lips. Why do I taste scotch and cinnamon all of a sudden? Vicky asked, her voice sounding much better, all of the dullness of her exhaustion gone from it. John kept hold of Sarah's hand. He didn't need it for their connection, but he still liked being in contact with her. Just a taste of heaven, comrade. Still up for coffee? Of course, Vicky couldn't just rest. That would be too easy, and folks like them never had things that easy. It sure as hell be a nice change, though, John thought. He felt Sarah's agreement through their connection, and sent some other thoughts about what would be nice for the two of them. She blushed a little and wrinkled her nose at him. Odd, now that they were... whatever it was that they were. She was much more human in her expressions than she had ever been before. He wondered how much of that was due to her time being corporeal, and how much it was due to them being reunited. And how much she's learning from me, maybe. Vicky had the TV tuned into some Overwatch feeds, four of them, split-screen, and kept an eye on them while sipping on coffee with a liberal dash of a cheap single malt in it. I just keep this around for doctoring coffee, she explained, as she offered some to John, and he gave her a sideways look at the brand. No point in wasting the good stuff when I'm already covering the flavor with coffee, cream, and sugar. Well, fair enough. Can't say I'm a stranger to the practice myself. He proffered his cup, 
Vicky splashed in a good-sized dose before recapping the scotch. They all sat down, John and Sarah on the couch, and Vicky in her favorite recliner. She sipped her coffee, kept one eye on the television, and the other squarely on John. So, suddenly you can go all remote viewing on me. You? She pointed at Sarah. I kind of guessed you could do that from the way you popped up when you were needed before. But this is a whole new thing for tall, dark, and inflammable here. So, anything you want to tell me? Your Honor, I plead the fifth, John said, holding his hands up in mock surrender, mug still in one. Well, to be quite honest, it wasn't all me. It was both of us together. We've got a bit of juju when it comes to fighting. Seeing things that can happen, that might happen, that will happen in a fight. With my reflexes, Sarah's experience, we just make sure we're where we need to be, when we need to be there, and do what we need to do to have the fight go the way we want it to. He took a long draft from his spiked coffee, wincing slightly from the fumes. I think the scotch she put in here is part diesel. What we did when Metis got hit? It was, I don't know, extending that same sort of feeling, that same sort of sense outwards. It isn't easy. Took damn near everything we had, keeping things stretched out like that. We were trying to sort the futures, looking for troubles, Sarah said as he paused, somewhat at a loss for words. I think that the only reason we were able to reach as far as Metis was because of your overwatch. The connection with you, with John, with Bella and Bulwark, Natalia and Ramona, and... She hesitated. With Moji, Vicky supplied her voice flat as she fought to contain her emotions. And the people wired with Overwatch, too. Well, part of it's magical, right? Maybe we tapped into it a bit. I mean, we're all pretty damned close besides, and a lot of what we were doing seemed more about feeling than it did knowing, if that makes any sense. Vicky shrugged. Your guess is probably better than mine. If it was strictly magical, I could run the analysis on it. Might make good fodder for a witch research paper. Effects of the celestial in relation to thaumaturgical what's-its. If we live through this damned war, and if there's anyone left alive to read it. I wouldn't live through trying to look at it. Never mind the war. Your celestial stuff does not like anyone trying to analyze it. She ran her free hand through her hair. No, said Sarah. It does not. It has nothing to do with you, Vicky. It just does not approve of mere mortals, so to speak, attempting to understand and use it. I think you surprised it a little 
the first times. I cannot think of anyone who has come so close to being able to analyze it before. In truth, it was lucky for all of us that John and I were able to moderate. The reaction could have been much more energetic. Vicky gulped. Do I want to know what that means? Well, you could have been reduced to a pile of ashes, or struck by lightning. Sarah cocked her head to one side. I doubt it would have been so simple as a plague of boils. Vicky noticeably shuddered. Sarah chuckled. I am pulling your appendage, Vicky, she said, her eyes smiling. John raised an eyebrow. Leg, darling. Appendage can mean a whole lot of things. Vicky looked from Sarah to John and back again. <laughs> you ain't right, Angel. She shook her head as John laughed at her. She's stealing all my best lines. Look, I know it's tedious asking these questions, but I'm trying to get a feel for what you do now. So what was it like when you two knew Metis was getting hit? Was it a real vision, or what? John was the first to speak. It was real. A moments-before kind of thing. Like... You see an airshow disaster. You watch the plane plummeting to the ground. You can visualize what'll happen. And then it does. This was more... It was like getting hit by a truck. No warning, no preparation, no control. You saw what it did to us. We were laid out completely. If it weren't for Overwatch, we wouldn't have had any other way to know it was happening, right? Vicky shook her head. I have no idea. Maybe? Maybe not? I don't do visions or precognitive stuff. The most I can do is look into the past or the present, and it takes me a lot of prep work to do that much. Earth isn't an element that lends itself to scrying or remote viewing. That's more an air, water, or fire thing. So, what happened when you staggered into my Overwatch room? Nothing, at first, Sarah replied. We were still involved in the confused sensations of the attack itself. And then, we had stretched our battle sense to cover all of Atlanta, because we needed to protect you. And we knew that you were vulnerable and vital. We found no danger to you, to Atlanta in the moment, or as far as we could stretch ourselves into the future. Then, something shone brightly to us, here in this apartment, and we sought it out, knowing it was important. It was like a searchlight, coming right out of your monitor. The one that was focusing on Moji. All three of them were quiet for a few moments. 
the wound was still fresh. Even in a war such as this, where so many had died, and often many of them at the same time, the new losses didn't hurt any less, at least for them. I think when we knew how important that was, we must have unconsciously followed John's Overwatch connection to him. Sarah bit her lip. I cannot explain it otherwise, and John's connection to Moji was more powerful than mine. I linked through him rather than on my own. It felt like I fell into the connection. I felt helpless, and something in me propelled along the connection. It all happened so fast, I don't know if I'm even remembering it right. It was like riding alongside in his head while it was all going on. We were there for the end. Now it was John's turn to go silent. He remembered every single moment with stinging, painful clarity. Part of him wanted to wash it from his memory, but the larger part of him never wanted to forget his friend's bravery and sacrifice. The pain. They had lost plenty of people, and several had affected John greatly. But this. He had felt it. How could the good, especially those as good as Molotov, die, and still for it to be a just world? Because if the infinite made it a just world, it would be a world in which we had no free will. Would you choose that? He glanced sharply at Sarah and saw her gazing at him solemnly. I have told you, shown you that. Now you feel what it means. Doesn't mean I have to like it much. And he didn't, at all. There were implications there about the limits of the infinite and what it meant to have free will. He didn't want to ponder it all right now. Vicky was looking at the two of them expectantly, swirling her coffee in her mug. You're using your really inside voices again, she said. Care to share with the class? Nothing germane to the discussion, Vic, John said quickly. He wasn't sure he had sorted things out for himself, much less for anyone else. He and Sarah could talk later try to figure out some more of it, make the world make sense, or some semblance of it. But before he could add anything, the television screen began flashing with the old, original Star Trek red alert sequence, including the siren. All three of them rushed to Vicky's workroom. The worldwide battle map was alive with pulsing red spots. Reports and some video was coming in from the cults and the overseas Overwatch 1 networks. The video was... apocalyptic. Holy shit. It's everywhere. John looked down at Vicky. She had nearly thrown herself into her chair, fingers already moving at a blur against her backlit keyboard. Is it another invasion? 
There was one monitor on the side that was scrolling up numbers just slow enough to read. Yes, smaller. Attacks are more precise, Vicky said, biting off her words. Too many to be answered by conventional security forces. We're scrambling everything, but at least we're coordinated this time. She paused for a moment, listening to someone on the other end of her comms. Most of the attacks are just outside the engagement range of a lot of our stuff. It looks like they're intentionally going after targets that are further out. Damn, they're moving fast. The video feeds from hotspots appeared to be pulled from conventional news sources. Vicky confirmed that with a muttered, Why in the hell do TV cameramen think their camera is a shield? How the hell did they get in place without us knowing about it? That's what I want to know. This is huge. To get that many Thulians in place would have taken a massive mobilization. There's no way that it could have gone unnoticed until death spheres and trooper armor were on every nation's doorsteps. In the first invasion, it had been a sneak attack. Pure terror. The second invasion had been to cut the heart out of the resistance to the Kriegers. There had been warning for that, and everyone had responded and defended themselves. It had largely been a rout, with the Kriegers withdrawing before they were completely wiped out. There had been zero warning for this attack. They weren't going after Echo, CCCP, D.C. or Moscow. No major population centers at all, from what John could gather on the monitors. The Thulians were doing something drastically different, and he didn't like it one single bit. In the first invasion, I saw a delivery truck unfold and dump out about twenty times the volume of Kriegers it could actually hold. I'd say that, plus a new delivery system. It looked like some of the Echo fast response teams were getting on site in at least some places. What the delivery system actually is, the gods only know. What well, the hell would stand in here with our thumbs up our asses? John only had to look at Sarah, and she already knew what he was thinking. Vic, we're going to try and see some more, if we can. This might get a little weird. Just don't short out my shit, she said, and turned all of her attention to what she actually could do. Let's move back out into the living room, darling. Vic's in the zone right now, and we don't need to mess with her equipment. Sarah nodded, and the two of them moved back onto Vicky's much-abused couch. Sarah looked down at it once she was seated. Given what happened the last time, I am tempted to say we should sit on the floor, she said dryly. Not a bad idea. They both took up position, sitting cross-legged across from each other. John put his hands out, palms up. Sarah placed her hands into his, and they both closed their eyes. John took a careful breath, slowly letting it out. Just like that, they were seeing possibilities and potentials. This is getting easier. They stretched the sense out as far as they could. It looked much the same as before, with rivers of blurred light, small and dark eddies marking tragedy, and finally he and Sarah at the center of it all. But 
They couldn't push it any further. They couldn't get the distance to push out or go beyond the immediate future. He could feel himself straining. Sarah was doing the same, but they had come up against a sort of plateau. We've got to try something different, darling. Close in the focus. Bring it in and onto ourselves. John relaxed, letting Sarah guide him through the futures. At first, they were still seeing all of Atlanta, an island of blue and gold light. Then it was as if they were falling, slowly at first, then much faster. The view collapsed back with a halt until it was just the two of them that he could see. Things quickly began to change. Both of them became much hazier, in his vision, and then... He was watching through Sarah's eyes. Not now Sarah's, but a future Sarah's. As he found himself, both of them, stumbling through what looked like the aftermath of a nuclear strike. People stumbling blindly past them, moaning, their faces half-melted. A prison camp, like Auschwitz or Bergen-Belsen, but these people were all wearing modern clothes, their clothing hanging loosely on half-starved bodies. A burning city. Atlanta? He thought he recognized the shattered stubs of buildings. Row after row of people harnessed somehow into machinery, howling in pain, their bodies controlling something. Darkness and the whine of machines. John. A landscape of ashes and burning rain and the smell of death. John. Fire. Everything on fire, as if some monstrous thing was using the planet for a furnace. John. He could feel himself being drawn into the futures felt the edges of his sanity start to unravel with each image, montages of pain, and the world ending, everyone and everything dead and gone, or worse. It felt as if his blood was boiling and his lungs were on fire, and it was all building up in his head, about to lose it. John, stop. Not through me. Not any longer. This is all I can see. You must find another way. Think of another way. Create another way. Back in the now, John felt himself breathe again. All of the futures cleared, and he felt the madness recede. He took his time, trying to find his center, to get level again. They couldn't keep ramming their heads against this problem. If they continued, well... It all ended in one of the ways that Sarah had seen. They needed something new, something different that they hadn't done before, something that didn't include them. There was a blinding flash in John's mind and thunder in his ears, and he saw. The connection broke, and John was back in the apartment with Sarah. Vicky was still busy in her workroom, juggling a dozen different tasks at once. 
he noticed that he was cold. His uniform had soaked through with sweat. Vicky's giant gray familiar was sitting a short distance away, regarding John and Sarah oddly. Once John had taken a moment to compose himself, he let go of Sarah's hands and looked into her eyes. You found it, she breathed. You found an answer. Tell me. Not an it, but maybe the answer. We need to find someone that was like me, before you and I found each other. A man. A young man who was in the program. We need to find Zach Marlowe. You've been listening to The Secret World Chronicle, written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Narration and production by Veronica Jaguer at VoicesByVeronica.com. Quality review and production assistance by Laura Nicole at ResonantMoon.com. Music by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series is released under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives 4.0 license. For previous episodes, check out secretworldchronicle.com. The Secret World Chronicle is published by the fantastic people at Bayon Books. Find fellow SWC fans on the Facebook group at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Secret World Chronicle. And, as always, thank you for listening.